Welcome back to COM 2110, Sports Media and Communication. And in today's class, we're going to talk about sports and social issues. And specifically, we're going to talk about social media's impact on sports and society. So the first thing we'll discuss is that idea of sticking to sports, uh, that politics and sports should not mix. Um, then we're going to go through basically the history of sports and politics. It's more of sports and social issues, but you'll see they've sort of always been in a relationship, if you will. Um, and then finally, we will talk about the influences that social media has had on this relationship and how it does seem to sort of have been uh, amplified in the last few years. So again, this week, we're going to talk about social issues and sports. And I think a good way to talk about that will be primarily through the lens of social media. And that's when we'll talk about sports and politics and activism and how those go hand in hand. So whether you like it or not, this has become a huge part of sports because sports are such a big part of people's lives. And for many, sports have kind of taken the place of religion as their primary means of developing community. Think of how passionate sports fans are and compare that to the way that people are passionate about sports and religion, right? And a thing people can be really passionate about is this idea of sticking to sports, keeping politics out of sports. This call for athletes to not complicate the game that billions of fans seek out for entertainment purposes on a daily basis. In a time when basically every aspect of people's daily lives is turned political in some way, we want to be able to spend a lazy Sunday watching NFL games or eating buffalo wings, right? And Okay, but there's one issue with this, is that even when athletes have not been outwardly making political statements, sports have never really been apolitical. From betting to broadcast rights, governments often develop public policy with regard to sports. Indeed, sheer economic impact of sports around the world makes it privy to public policy issues. You know, team owners try to garner interest to publicly fund new stadiums, in part using residence taxes. And What's more political than the original issue that Americans had? Taxation, right? So as the book says, and we'll talk about now briefly, politics of sports have really the quite symbiotic relationship, with the two topics having been discussed together since ancient Greeks and Romans, and through the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. And funny enough, there's even the notion of stick to sports that dates back to the British Empire where sports should be, quote, separate and distinct from political turmoil. So in the 20th and 21st century, in America specifically, uh, the most frequent of these issues has been black and white relations, starting with athletes like Olympian Jesse Owens and athletes breaking the color barrier, including on the screen Jackie Robinson, who, by the way, uh, if you are... Uh, Taking this class, you're probably familiar with a team that had a chance to sign Jackie Robinson even earlier than the Dodgers did, but the owner said, there's no way I'm going to have a black player on my team. It's the Boston Red Sox. Anyway, a little bit further down the line, we have athletes speaking out about issues at stake in the civil rights era. Uh, for on-the-field protests, we have the iconic example that's on the screen right now of Tommy Smith and John Carlos raising their fists on the podium during the national anthem in the 1968 Olympics. 
to protest racism and segregation in American sports and society more generally. Even Hall of Fame athletes, including Jim Brown and Bill Russell, voicing support for Muhammad Ali, who refused to enlist in Vietnam and had his boxing license suspended during his prime. Uh, in this picture right here, we have uh, Hall of Fame running back Jim Brown. Uh, we also have um, Bill Russell up front. We have, at the time, Luel Cinder, who's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and some more athletes in the back there. Um, by the way... Muhammad Ali lost three years of his absolute prime when they took his boxing license away. Uh, go and look at what his record was when he um, was not able to fight. Uh, the number of times he won in a row. It'd be incredible to see how many he actually would have won if he didn't lose three years in his prime. It's like the original version of the Michael Jordan retiring from basketball to play baseball. Except... It wasn't his choice. So overall, sports have been political for quite a while, or at least politically involved. Uh, but despite this history, there does seem to be some sort of increase in how political sports or simply athletes have become. We have things like Barack Obama commenting on NBA players wearing I Can't Breathe shirts during pregame warmups in reference to the death of Eric Garner by New York City police officers. Uh, even Fidel Castro's death incited commentary about his influence on Major League Baseball. We hear those stories pretty frequently now. Uh, more recently, again, we had the NBA paint Black Lives Matter on the courts in the 2020 uh, NBA playoffs. Uh, even Michael Jordan, who is infamously quoted as saying Republicans wear sneakers too, and basically tried as hard as he could to stay out of politics when he was playing, he didn't remain silent during the 2020 protests in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, uh, part of his statement, he says, quote, I stand with those who are calling out the ingrained racism and violence towards people of color in our country. We have had enough. So, to me, it's pretty clear that sports and politics are kind of buddy-buddy at this point, um, but I know a lot of you probably disagree with me. So before I lose half of you, let's actually talk about what counts as politics. Because I'm pretty sure plenty of you think that politics don't belong in sports, but let's talk about that for a minute, just what counts as being political. I'll bet you some of you, when I was just going on my spiel right there, don't think anything that I was talking about counts as being political. And we can all argue about our own opinions, or we can use the following study which is a UT Austin study um, where researchers actually surveyed participants from the United States who self-identify as sports fans, and they used a panel service in December of 2021. So take a look at this graph if you're watching and see how things broke down. Um, if you were just listening, it is a list of different topics where they asked people do you believe the following are political in nature? And they did the classic thing that we've all seen on a survey that says, you know, one, not very political at all, up to seven, very political. So if you're looking at this, anything that is four is sort of neutral. They didn't think it was not political. They didn't think it was very political. Um, anything above that is more political than not political. So take a look at this and how things broke down and find what's interesting to you. Um, they broke it down 
by Democrat, Independent, Republican, and total sample. So one thing that pops out to me is that more than half of the topics on here are above a 4.0, which means that more than half the topics for the entire sample of people that took this survey, they edge a little bit closer to the political side than the not political side. And then you can see a couple where obviously Republicans and Democrats differ on what they consider to be political or not. Plane of the National Anthem being one of them with Democrats thinking that is much more political than uh, Republicans did. Um, same thing with military appreciation or support. But things that are generally on the side of a little bit closer to political or not, something like sport media hiring practices is a 4.12, which is kind of interesting. That means that people generally were closer to the political side of things than not political for something like that. Further up, you have Olympics, which obviously it's international, right? Um, gender, race, transgender rights, all of those things people think are generally more political than not political. But let's go back again to the sport media hiring practices. One of your daily cases, you'll be watching a documentary called Let Them Wear Towels, where uh, women sports journalists were facing a lot of discrimination, especially back in the 80s and early 90s. And part of the question for you is, is there still discrimination around, basically? And we can think about that from sort of like an old school, traditional type of discrimination, but you could also think of it from a more modern sort of representation issue. If you look at this graph, if you're watching this, um, out of all of the reporting journalists in sports, in the sports industry, that's the most lopsided when it comes to gender disparities. 83% of all the journalists in sports are men, 83% compared to 15% women. And that's the highest out of any particular genre or topic or whatever you want to call it. Um, even when we look at all of the reporting journalists in the country, it's almost evenly split. It's 51% men, 46% women. But then we get to sports and it's 83% compared to 15%. So what does that mean when it comes to actual representation? Even just, you know, reading a byline of someone with a female name or uh, a women's name, something like that. So think about that when it comes to watching this documentary and what that means for modern society. Now, how about these findings? This is from the same survey as before, but instead of asking uh, whether or not they think something's political, they just ask whether they agreed or not. So another survey thing that we've all seen, uh, number one is strongly disagree, up to seven, strongly agree. That means number four is neither agree nor disagree. So they found that generally people think that sports and politics should not mix. The question right there, sport and politics should not mix and overall get a 4.4. So people generally agree that sports and politics should not mix. But look at what else they also agreed with. Um, while people think that they shouldn't mix, they say that they generally agree with the idea of it's appropriate for athletes to speak about politics or sports media should cover when athletes or coaches encourage voting or sports media should cover athlete coaches protests during games. All of those people generally agreed compared to disagree. Even the one that's uh, sports media should cover athlete coach protesting outside of a game or event. 
that was a 3.97. So basically right down the middle of agree or disagree. So in general, even though people tended to agree that sports and politics should not mix, they're generally okay with things being covered, right? So for you, if you want to be in the sports business or sports media or sports industry in general, what that means is that fans are generally at least accepting of it, whether or not they agree with it. And players don't necessarily care about those types of things. So even if you agree that all of these things should be talked about, even if you agree that these things shouldn't be talked about, you might find yourself in a position where you'll have to engage regardless. And hopefully you'll see that I try to do that from a more analytical or sort of looking at the causes of things as opposed to whether or not we should. And that brings us to this idea of social media. And like I've been saying, sports and politics have always sort of been mixed in one way or another, but there does seem to be a recent sort of increase in amplification or salience of politics. And I think a big piece of that is the proliferation of social media in the past 15, 20 years or so, and the sort of widespread influence that it's had on sports. So from my perspective, social media has influenced sports and the relationship between sports, sports fans, society, and politics in three distinct ways. First is the greater social awareness that we have through social media use and exposure. Second is increased fan, producer, and athlete interaction and perceptions of closeness between those people. And third is that traditional sports media has increased its use of and competition with social media platforms. So let's take this one at a time. First up, we have greater social awareness through social media use and exposure. This just means that people are more aware of others than they used to be, in part because of using social media. So what do I mean by traditional mass media? Because I'll be talking about that in a bit, comparing it to social media. So traditional mass media, we typically talk about as being television, radio, film, newspapers, the things where it's a few people creating the content, sending it out to millions or billions of people, right? We, you've probably seen pictures or videos of uh, FDR doing his fireside chats and a whole bunch of people in the living room sitting in front of the radio listening to him, right? It's one person talking to millions of people. That's mass media, traditional mass media. And traditional mass media usually reinforces existing social structures. Uh, a lot of the content in traditional mass media is controlled by large economically driven companies. That means that these companies are looking to make a profit. And the most efficient way to typically do that is rely on proven strategies. When it comes to media, that means getting as many people as you can to consume your content. For something like television in the 1950s to 2000s, they used this idea of least objectionable programming to try and do that, to get as many people to watch as possible. They put things on the screen that people found comfortable or wouldn't be offended by. That's why if you look at old TV shows from the 50s or 60s, you get something like Leave it to Beaver, 
which is this white family in the suburbs where the mom stays home and cooks. And the worst thing that ever happens is like, you know, the kid accidentally steals a pack of gum or something like that. Like very simple, non-offensive stuff. But they figured that's how you're going to get as many people to watch as possible by doing stuff that's not offensive. Or you can think about movies these days. What are the most popular movies that they put out? Superhero movies. It's a clear good guy or good people versus bad guy or bad people. It's pretty hard to have that be offensive to anyone. Um, least objectionable programming. Reinforcing those existing structures. The white suburban middle class family, that's what we still think of as like the prototypical good idea of a family. Part of that is reinforcement from media. However, with social media, that doesn't necessarily happen. It doesn't necessarily build up existing power dynamics. Uh, the difference for social media is that we are audience and users, but we are also prosumers. So we can be both audience and user and content creator. Think of TikTok or anything where you get to retweet or um, quote tweet or something like that. Right? You're taking someone else's content and then you're able to do your own thing with it and you can create your own original content too. On top of that, you can connect with pretty much any place in the world if you want and find different communities about different issues of interest or whatever you want. Uh, you can be exposed to a whole bunch of different perspectives than, and more different perspectives than you would have if you were just looking at the people around you or in your neighborhood. Right. And so it's a more communal experience. Here's an example from Reddit on the screen of a bunch of different communities for use on that platform. We have people giving advice or um, talking about psychology, controversial topics, obviously, commerce, U.S. cities. And there's an entire section simply on sports teams. Every single sport team you can imagine has its own subreddit on Reddit. And you can go there and talk to other fans of just that team alone. Another interesting tidbit with this graph, the uh, the red represents conflict out of all of these conversations. And 1% of all communities on Reddit initiate 74% of all conflict on Reddit. So 1% of all communities initiate 74% of all conflict on Reddit. So anyway, for sports fans, social media has become this sort of perfect place for basically everyone involved in the process. We have fans, athletes, organizations, sports journalists, whatever, able to interact with one another about anything they want, any topic they want. Reporters now routinely tweet out play-by-play -play of sporting events they cover in real time, for example. Or, if you remember, I talked about the DeAndre Swift murder accusation? Another perfect example of just how far social media has come. When it comes to athletes, they too benefit from using social media. Before social media, fans had to wait for TV cameras or sports reporters to bring awareness to any athlete that wanted to speak out or make a statement. But today, athletes can reach millions at any time through social media. So when something happens, athletes can send a message to their millions of followers about it. And the conversation sometimes still goes beyond social media. Think of NBA player LeBron James's tweet where he called President Trump a bum in response to Trump's false claim that he uninvited the Golden State Warriors uh, to the White House after they won the title. Um, that got a lot of major non-sports media coverage, too. Uh, 
even being a small part in why Laura Ingram ended up telling him to shut up and dribble a few months later, which you'll talk about more in another one of your daily cases. So, if we put this all together, we have more interaction with differing perspectives, as well as athletes having lots of followers, and this is one of the powers of social media. Fans are exposed to athletes who may provide them with ideas or perspectives different from their own, potentially becoming more informed in the process. And one study actually did find out 75% of respondents from 33 different countries agreed that, quote, sports bring different groups and races closer together. So athletes who are among the most popular people in the world, let alone celebrities, have the potential to be a vehicle that does bring different groups and races together. And this notion is especially important considering the second influence that social media has, the newfound closeness that fans now perceive towards athletes. Alright, fan-athlete closeness. So, we've had Reddit and blogs and forums for years now, and you can throw in Twitter and Instagram and Facebook into that mix too, and like we said, they have allowed for a significant interaction or increased interaction between fans and other people and the blurring between fan and content creator for years. In addition, participation in online discussions about anything but including sports isn't limited to time or space. So what do I mean by this? It's not limited to time or space. Well, as we found out all too often, uh, these interactions can be asynchronous, right? So you're potentially not missing any part of a conversation that you weren't actually there for. You know, someone could quote tweet you in something and you can find out that they did that an entire day later. You don't have to actually be in the same room as them doing it. And you can have conversations with people in different area codes or even continents, Uh this on the screen is one of my favorite Celtics account. It's a guy from Japan who just draws pictures of the Celtics and their mascot. So being able to communicate with potentially so many people and being able to be closer to those people, able to do so at any time or any place, it makes social media a powerful medium for enabling fan and athlete interactions. Okay. Athletes can now talk to reporters and fans and their teams directly if they want to, including in confrontational ways. So let's watch this video. Russell Westbrook dresses like a 70-year-old uncle with a timeshare in Florida. <laughs> I'm a fresh 70-year-old, I tell you that much. John Morant need a chill. He be going dummy. Still a soft-ass bitch made goofy, though. That don't really hurt my feeling. Jalen Green has the basketball IQ of a baby hamster. <laughs> Damn. Evan Mobley looks like he growls at people in public. I've never done that. Darius Garland dresses like Sade. He better ball out. <laughs> You Sadiq Bay, you Sadiq. Uh, that's a good play on words, I guess. When we're gonna start taking about Anthony Edwards' problem, he don't run, he don't defend, he don't rebound, he don't shoot. I mean, we can start taking about it right now, whatever that means. This one's all packed, so. You Franz Wagner, you bitch ass nobody's player. 
At Jalen Suggs, your turkey probably dry as <laughs> No, it's not. Andre Drummond has a look of a musician who decided to give pro basketball a try in his early to mid-30s. <laughs> if I see DeJounte Murray one more time on the NBA floor, my kids will not have dinner tomorrow. Sorry, kids. <laughs> Why Jared Allen look like Shaggy when he run? Yeah, I can kind of see it. <laughs> Scotty Barnes looked like a big-ass middle schooler who ain't hit puberty yet. But I still got a baby face, bro. You got a cute little baby face, bro. Zach Levine looks like he eats Vienna sausages straight out of a can. I don't eat pork, dog. Tyrese Halliburton plays like Steve Urkel when he was dominating that episode of Family Matters. Well, I used to watch Family Matters on Nick at Night, so I know exactly the episode you're talking about. And uh, I think that's more of a compliment than anything. Why does Gary Payton look like an aged Kanye West? Don't ever say that again. Hey, I'm nothing like me. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty. Pretty. That was obviously sort of a, a lighter side of things, but we have seen how Kevin Durant went so far as to create multiple Twitter accounts to defend himself against trolls. Even a decade ago, athletes were starting to understand the interpersonal aspects of Twitter. More than a decade ago, it was a 2010 study that found that over one third of sports athletes' tweets that year were posted with the purpose of engagement with other people. And we can learn interesting and unique things about our favorite athletes if we want to when they post it. Uh, we can go far as 2009 with Shaq conducting a scavenger hunt for his followers to actually find him at the mall. Uh, the first person to touch him, like physically touch him, won. Now, you could argue that, I guess with the exception of the Shaq one, most of these instances, you know, no one actually meets or makes contact. So it's sort of more appropriate to discuss this as an online interaction in a sort of mediated, not interpersonal term. And that's what we're going to talk about. There's something called a parasocial interaction or mediated interactions that we actually perceive of or feel like are interpersonal in nature. Mediated interactions that we feel like are interpersonal. Uh, there's another term called parasocial breakup, which essentially is, think of your favorite television show, now think of your favorite character that either left the show or died in the show. You actually get like physically sad as if they were leaving your life despite them being a fictional character. That's a parasocial breakup. So parasocial interaction or parasocial relationship is the same thing where it's this mediated interaction, but it still feels like it's an interpersonal thing. You start to feel close to someone you've never met almost on like a personal level, like they're your friend. And these newer technologies allow for fans and athletes to foster that deeper relationship, even if it's not fully authentic, because we can interact and engage with them. And similarly to how we support our friends more than we might support strangers, these parasocial relationships can also feel like real relationships and make it so that we might be more persuaded by those that we have a close connection to. So there's the potential for athletes or sports leagues to persuade fans into taking action in support of athletes that they feel close to. And that's something that traditional uh, traditional 
sports media outlets have tried to consider as they turn more to social media to try to harness some of that power for their own success, despite that power sometimes being a direct challenger to their own traditional media uh, legacy. Um, and that happens to be the third and final influence that we talk about. So the third influence of social media in this situation is traditional sports media's increasing use of and competition with social media platforms. So one thing that happens when uh, new media comes along, it sort of forces established technologies to alter their utility or what we use them for. An example would be when uh, radio first became a success for sporting events, newspaper editors and writers were forced to focus on aspects of sports coverage that the radio broadcasts weren't well equipped for. So instead of a detailed summary of the game, which radio did much better and they were doing it live, newspapers started to focus on analysis or depicting the personalities of athletes. So we still watch sports through traditional media. You know, the Super Bowl continues to break television records, right? But social media has influenced sort of what aspects of sports are talked about. So think of this question. When it comes to Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, what type of sports content do you get from each of those platforms? Is it the same type of content from each one, or do you get different types of content from each one? You could throw YouTube in there too if you want, okay? Before social media, you basically had newspaper and television. And so what we're going to do now, I'm going to show you a clip from a 1995 broadcast of SportsCenter, sort of like the OG place that people got sports on television. And what I want you to think about is watching this broadcast, the first five or so minutes, where would you get that information now? Okay, so think of the different parts of this broadcast and where now you would end up finding that information. Would it be through YouTube? Would it be Instagram? Would it be Twitter? All right. And which type of content? Where? Sports Center's got all the moves for you. Arch Madness reigns in the NFL. Are the Rams still headed east to St. Louis? March Madness is here. We will go east to see what lies ahead for top seed Wake Forest in the field of 64. While the 65 and over NIT gets its run towards Broadway off to a shattering start. The pro hardwood finds stars colliding in the Jersey air, but still no air to be found as the Hawks soar into bullish Chicago. On ice, the Rangers and Flyers don't mess around. Neither does the prosecution at the O.J. Simpson trial. I felt like we're in Alice in Wonderland. We've got Jabberwocky here. It's madness. Sports Center's rolling at you. Good seats are hard to come by, no matter who you are. Next. Hello, good evening. Welcome to the big show. Alongside my tag team partner, Dan Patrick, I'm Keith Olbermann. Coming up on SportsCenter, the replacement players walking the walk. The real players talking the talk. One more slice of history, by the way, after initially, di he did that song first? After initially disapproving the Rams move because it didn't want a pro team in their stadium, the 1945 LA Coliseum Commission eventually changed its mind. Another NFL note, two days after ESPN reported that Star University of Miami defensive lineman Warren Sapp had tested positive for marijuana at the college combine, and the New York Times reported they'd been told he'd also tested positive for cocaine. The NFL denied the cocaine report today and said nothing about the marijuana. 
and SAP released a statement through his agent that said nothing about either. This is a confidential matter, and I have addressed the situation with my family, friends, and the NFL. I am sorry about this unfortunate occurrence. Dan? The Nets tugged on Superman's cape tonight as Shaquille O'Neal paid a visit to New Jersey. Shaq and company in the mood to vent some frustrations following Tuesday night's home loss to the Jazz. The Nets, who remain in the hunt for the right to meet the Magic in the opening round of the playoffs, blew out Orlando by 27 earlier this season at the Meadowlands. Shaq, say hello to D.C. Shaq would get it right. Anthony Bowie finds Shaq for the jam. Magic leading early. On the inbounds, Horace Grant, Penny Hardaway, a design play. Magic lead by seven at halftime. Third quarter, Derek Coleman got and Fuego. Actually, he's D.C. when he plays well. He's Derek Coleman when he doesn't. The bank, and then Coleman, the give-and-go to P.J. That would be D.C. and P.J. Then Coleman, a season-high 36, prettiest play of the night, not on the offensive end, on the defensive end. Coleman holding Shaq scoreless for the final 8-16 of the game. And your final, 108-99, Orlando. Two losses in the Meadowlands by a combined 36 points. Orlando has dropped five of their last seven road games. The airless Bulls hosting the Hawks. Scotty all smiles. His team had won six of the last eight. Off the BJ miss, Pete Myers. Nice pass to Scotty for the jam. Pippen returns the favor. If Jordan does come back, Myers loses his starting role. Bulls up by five after one. Scotty, unselfish, looking for Ku coach. Hawks try to imitate former Bull Enos Watley to Cadillac, and Lenny said, I did not see that. Hawks down by 12 at the break. Corey Blunt, Pete Myers. Phil Jackson says, 99-86 the final. Atlanta trails the Bulls by one and a half games for the sixth playoff spot. Norman goes for 21, but other than that, all Chicago. Kukoc had 13 rebounds, which I believe a career high. As for the latest on the Jordan watch, it's still ticking, but it doesn't give the correct time. Reporters camped out at the Bulls practice facility earlier today hoping to hear from Jordan or hear an announcement related to his return. They got neither. Bulls players denied they were told about Jordan's comeback at a team meeting following last night's win over the Bullets. Keith? Okay, so when it comes to the highlights of actual games, Probably get that information from, if you want to watch an entire highlight, maybe YouTube. Uh, if it's just sort of, you know, flashy plays, maybe it's Instagram. When it comes to things like the Warren Sapp conversation, that may be from Twitter, right? But as you can see, you're probably getting that information from different places. And that's because it's more efficient that way. Think of what's on ESPN now. It's just hot takes and Stephen A. Smith, because there's other places that do that older content better. Highlight videos, that's much better suited for YouTube, where you get to pick and choose what highlights to watch as opposed to sitting through a whole bunch to get to the one that you care about, right? Or how about this? When it comes to watching a game yourself, even if you're still watching on television, either alone or with people, what are some of the things that you do? Any of you on your phone, right? We want to understand. We want to complain. We want to predict. Uh, sports fans will do all kinds of stuff like that. Express glee, indignation, sadness. For all of this, we might turn to the person next to us, but we can also now turn to newer media. Social media can make it feel like every game is a Super Bowl watch party. We use a second screen that has 
fantasy or Twitter or even another game going on to enhance the viewing experience. So we use both traditional media and new media simultaneously to get even more connected to the sport during events. So newer media has enhanced and made more popular general sports media. Another aspect then, for players speaking their minds, now ESPN will talk about what the meaning behind a player's comments are, you know, when they post on another player's Instagram feed, right? Or uh, there was a Celtics game recently where the players went right to the weight room after lifting or after the game and lifted uh, right after media availability. I didn't learn about that from looking at Tatum's Instagram story. A journalist looked at it, thought it was newsworthy, shared it on Twitter, and then someone I follow retweeted it. That's how I saw it. So a broad thing going from a sports journalist, a very traditional type of role, through all of these different social media platforms to get to me. So if you combine this idea that new media and traditional media have a new relationship with the previous two influences that we already talked about, right? that social media can increase awareness of societal issues and help fans and athletes develop closer relationships than previously, it kind of looks like a perfect storm for politically active athletes. An example of how influential social media can be in this case is that of the University of Missouri athlete protest. So there were several racial incidents on campus and leadership seemed to do nothing about it. So the football team decided to boycott. One way they got the word out was by using this hashtag online, hashtag concerned student 1950, uh, a campus group that had made reference to the first year of the school accepting black students. Uh, that group had been voicing their concerns with the leadership and the players jumped on that hashtag. Within a day of the players from the football team declaring that they would not play until the university president president resigned, major media outlets like CNN and ESPN reported on the story. And as a result of that increased exposure, more people became aware of the protest and the university president ended up resigning because it had so much attention. So here's actual data that supports that. Researchers used uh, geographic mapping and cluster analysis to determine exactly how impactful Twitter was for the football players at the school when they coordinated their strike. So here's uh, where there were cr clusters of people posting about the concerns at Missouri before the strike. Okay, so pretty concentrated in the United States, uh, a little bit in the UK there, um, but mostly you have East Coast, West Coast of the US, and sort of in the middle there as well. Here's what it looked like after that. It's a bit more. It's all over the United States. It's a lot more throughout uh, different countries, um, not just in the UK. It's all over Europe. It's down in Africa. It's in South America, all over the place. So these researchers found that the conversation got a lot bigger and broader after the players went on strike. And we see this again and again. Any sort of opinion expressed by athletes, especially online, has the potential to result in hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people engaging with the opinion. And sometimes when that happens, if enough people engage on social media, uh, it can turn into that sort of challenge crisis, potentially, that we talked about. And mainstream media feels like they need to pick up the story because it has so much attention online. Uh, prior to social media, again, 
mainstream media would have first had to decide whether they wanted to cover that type of story. And now the players themselves can influence the gatekeeping process by getting attention online through connecting to their close fans and spreading awareness that way. So in conclusion, with the increase of social awareness and outspoken athletes, along with fans and athletes interacting more and fans engaging in sports through social media more, the argument that politics should not be mixed with sports may not be about the mixing per se, but maybe about the specific political statements themselves. Uh, we will talk about that in an upcoming class at some point, so uh, stay tuned for that. Now, thank you for bearing with my rant. Let's talk about social media real quick from a more fun way. And so what we just talked about, that was a lot about like Reddit and Twitter more than anything, less about necessarily new media, which itself is kind of a weird term. I mean, if it's supposed to mean media technology that's new, what really counts anymore? Like Twitter's 15 or so years old. Instagram's pretty old at this point. I mean, even TikTok at this point is not really new. So what do you think? What is actually new media? Be curious to hear what you think. Um, or maybe new media can mean just a new use of media technology. Um, Amazon bought the rights to Thursday night football games recently, a couple of years ago. So if you watch um, Twitch, you know that Thursday night football games are on there now. Um, and they spent a lot of money to get those games. Between them and Disney NBC Universal, who owns Comcast, or is, I'm sorry, is owned by Comcast, uh, Viacom, who owns CBS and MTV, and Fox, those companies are now paying $9 billion a year to broadcast NFL games. And a big piece of that is the digital rights to show those games. So now you can watch on ESPN+, Peacock, and of course, Twitter, uh, I'm sorry, Twitch, and Amazon Prime. In fact, you might see more like this as sort of a new thing. Uh, Amazon Prime this past year, when you would turn on a Thursday night football game, had three different streams. And one of them was sort of an advanced analytics one, where if you uh, can see the screen, you can see that it's showing where the players were running their routes. So it showed where they started a play, and then it has a little line going to where they are now and shows you how they how they got there. Um, it, it looks like you're watching Madden or something like that. It's a little bit more zoomed out. It's really interesting, I think. Um, and it might be a different way to engage with traditional sports media. So maybe we'll see more like this going forward, and we'll see traditional broadcasts having to adjust to keep up with that. I'm not really sure what comes next, but uh, maybe you'll be the one to do it. So the last thing I want to discuss briefly is for some of the reflection papers that are coming up at the end of the semester, what you choose to watch or uh, listen to or read might contain some players dealing with societal issues. So while you're watching or reading or uh, listening, I want you to think about these questions um, and how it relates to this discussion we just had, right? So what social issues did your book or documentary or podcast actually highlight and how did athletes uh, contribute to the discussion of those social issues? And then what has changed since the events in your book, documentary, or podcast, um, if anything has changed. Maybe nothing has changed uh, because it's fairly recent. But think about these questions when you're reading or watching or listening to that content in the future. Speaking of the future, 
Next up, we will talk about ethics and morality, specifically within sports communication. And as sort of a primer for that, please read the ethics and sports communication chapter in the book. Thanks.